0: What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 396. Uh, My name is Steve, one of the co-hosts. Yeah, That that was not me. That was my other... uh, One of the other co-hosts. That was... uh, Joey Lawrence. Yeah, Joey Lawrence was uh, joining us on the pod today. Whoa. We're having a flashback 90s Blossom tribute episode. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, I'm Steve, I'm one of the co-hosts, and as always, I'm joined by... Right. And me, John. And,
1: you know, I feel like... I know this is gonna sound crazy, but I feel like I've seen you guys in a dream before.
2: Yeah, yeah, I feel like I've seen you, before. but haven't been
1: here before. But it feels so, you know, I've never been on this podcast before, but right. I feel like I've seen you guys in a dream. <laughs> Hold on, and
2: and I, and I feel like that microphone and that Christmas tree in the background. Oh my god! And that doll up on there. I, it's I feel all like, I, it's all coming back to you, huh? Because
0: that's what's it's happening all to me. Coming. coming back to me now uh so we'll get to that in a moment that was john uh he he's going to get into his pick this week for required viewing which was the was it 1945 1945 yeah dead of night uh we're going to also talk a little bit later on about the new uh toho released uh godzilla minus one which is in theaters now here in the states um and yeah, I guess some other bits and bobs, uh, yeah. if you will, after that. But uh, let's let's go right into it. John, remind us about Dead of Night, why you chose it, and uh, let's jump into that. I mean, you know, I, I kind of found out it was an Ealing film
1: after I started digging into it based on a recommendation. Someone I know who's a, a very big film buff and often is the person to turn me on to, especially older films, um, mentioned it. Uh, in a in a Facebook group that's kind of devoted to horror, and that kind of stuck in my brain. And then when I finally looked it up and I saw that it was this, you know, one of those films from that time that was reasonably well regarded for its time, and also, it, it, retrospectively, it's one of the movies that people point back to, saying this one kind of holds up in a way. And it reminded me of the way the other Ealing film we watched, which was from, you know, years later, but The Lady yeah. Killers was another movie that had sort of a like, seem to have some kind of contemporary value or at least point to contemporary ideas about genre and storytelling that you, not so much that are, like, groundbreaking, but that are a little bit uh, cool to see in an, in an older movie like that, to kind of remind yourself. It's like picking up that classic book and reading it and realizing it's really good and going, yeah. oh, okay, that's right. People, people, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like in the last 20 years that people invented, like, smart storytelling or, or uh, you know, you know, good camera work and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't know. I think that it was uh, it was an appealing prospect to see what it looked like for Ealing to make a, a horror film and to make something even earlier. And I also think just sometimes on the show, it is fun to go out of that, that usual spectrum of sort of films released in our lifetimes that we tend to talk about, um, even though I think we were all reasonably curious about all all movies. We don't really talk about the ones... Uh, the older ones much. So it seemed like a good yeah. shot. And then when I realized it had been a year since we talked about the Lady Killers, it made me think, oh, maybe maybe the the, the Christmas tradition, the December tradition, will be to pick an ealing film. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I, I have a lot to say about just the the sort of the construction of this and just the kind of anthology tradition that it's part of um but uh before we get into that i don't know i'd like to know what what did you guys think of dead of night um and did you have a similar sort of feeling that it it felt like at times the camera work the the acting style it was a little bit more contemporary than you know this definitely still feels like an old movie but there were moments yeah. where it just um you know it felt fresh to me did you did you feel the same way ronald
2: <clears throat> yeah uh yeah I, I think one of the things that's very apparent when it first starts is like this is uh it's kind of a master class and 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 storytelling i mean it my issue with this and lady killers is uh these scripts have such a great premises and then at some point he gets a little like let's go off the rails and start yeah. making people act zany but the scene where the gentleman comes into the room and describes his feeling of of not not knowing what's going on is so good that it like you realize more. The more I watch old stuff, I mean, this is a very obvious thing. What I'm going to say is like the more I realize that Tarantino is just mimicking this stuff, <laughs> like he's just trying to make you feel the way that these movies made him feel, where it's like, it is a masterclass. It's like this very sharp storytelling that's happening in these, you know, large casts where things are kind of being thrown around between the characters, this dynamic where pieces are coming out between characters and it's jumps in story. And then the ending, the ending gave me this, Insane dread that I have had only a couple times in my life, once in real life off of uh, an edible. Uh, (laughs) Because, like, when, when you feel like you're in something that you can't control, you know, that's like
1: a odd... Ronald, Ronald, this was made in the 40s by British people, so what, it was really strong tea that they were... Yeah, and the
2: scone, it was like the combination of a... Of a uh, they dipped it too many times. Well, does, or, or scones that are like a day off, you know, and yeah, then like yeah, some really yeah. strong tea. and then Just they have this. really like non-heated stiff scones combined with some... Ronald, that ending you're talking about is... I think what's
1: interesting about it is you sort of see it coming, and then when it starts to happen, it feels satisfying, and then it keeps going... Under the credits, the way that it keeps going, I felt like that was the stylistic thing that felt like bold yes. for its time. But even now, that would feel bold if a movie like that just kept like doing what it was doing, yeah. but under the credits. Where, but you can totally hang out there and keep watching it and going like it's it's kind of like making you think about the guy's behavior at the beginning of the movie yeah. and how he's acting kind of strange and i think what you're getting at ronald about the sort of sophistication of the storytelling is dead on because you know this movie lets us hang out in the mystery mm-hmm. of why he's acting so strange because even before he starts recognizing people from his dream he's acting a little strange yes. and i like that the movie lets us wait until really the very end before we fully understand like the the sort of um you know the 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 sort of existential uh, uh loop that he's he's caught in
2: i've only um, seen an ending like that one time and that's the thing the, mm-hmm. the where where like whatever you're watching just extends to the credits mm-hmm. and then you're like oh no this is this is this is just going to leave me with like oh man this is resolved it's like oh no, this is going on. This is this is going to continue and stay in my brain after it leaves in the It, also, it also made me think of like the Black Mirror Christmas
1: episode or something like that, where mm. there's a sort of like, there's a torment, it seems like a character might be
0: trapped in that you don't quite understand why. Steve, you mm. haven't had a chance to say anything. What do you no, think of Dead of Night? I, I, Having not known anything about it, I was really pleasantly surprised, you know, watching it. I mean, I, I love the idea of an anthology, you know, especially the way they kind of frame it in this one, I thought it was really creative um all to kind of serve you know a a story that is the bookend of the movie but i think it's kind of cool just to make it feel i think i think that's what some of the things like we see like um and i i'm only saying this because like it's it's so consistent like all the vhs films like everybody always talks about like you know the stories and like what the wraparounds are and you know if there's a bigger story to it all those things um some better than others but like this one was like you know a really great uh device in terms of you know kind of following craig and you know thinking that it's just a story where these 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 stories are being shared to just just give us four or five other little stories inside of it but then we know when it when it kind of ties it in and like you said john you know in into the end of the film and with the credits um it really kind of plants those little anthology pieces inside of an actual movie, you know, like it's, it's not just an anthology film where there's these five little stories that are cool. It's really like these dreams that this guy has had. And it's like, I think the dread for me is like the idea of either being stuck in a loop, you know, like it it feels Mm -hmm. like a little bit, Um, because some of these movies that kind of use that as a device, you know, where the whole thing happened and and it was a dream and it starts up just like it started at the beginning of the movie. You know, it could play out like that. You know, you could make a change, you you know, with the with the information that you thought you had. Or it could be like what it, my vibe on this was that it's that it is a loop, mm-hmm. you know, or something. You know, there's some kind of really bleak, uh, just like thing that this guy is stuck inside of. And that we don't know how many times he's been through it based on the yes, way it begins and exactly.
1: the way that it ends, right? Like yeah. we, we could be watching the 50th iteration of this if we, for all we know.
0: And even and even like with the themes of uh, of the stories that were being told by the guests at the house, like, you know, it, it kind of, it, uh, like a macro view of, of this character, it makes me wonder, you know, maybe this character is not experiencing any of this stuff. You know, maybe this character is somewhere else you know, uh, beholden to the themes that were, were being told in these stories, like themes of, you know, death, of, uh, you know, possibly ghosts, of uh, greed and 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 envy and, like, all these things that, like, are just so, like, juicy in terms of it could, they could make a, a movie out of any of them, you know, and they do every week at the theater. But I think the idea of, like, this guy being told these stories and having some recollection of something with these characters it almost makes me it makes me think of like the movie identity you know like that's mm-hmm. what i kept thinking about and it may be a jump but i think the idea of like maybe these stories or these characters that he's stuck in this loop with um maybe represent pieces of him you know or or parts mm-hmm. of him that have fractured over time and maybe caused this loop you know if he is kind of stuck in this like you said john how many times has this happened right um but yeah overall like i thought it was pretty great i mean i was really happy watching it i love um you know these short stories that are delivered so efficiently and yes. they're so lean and like there's a beginning a middle and an end to each there, of these little things and
1: there's an escalation to the stories yeah. like we start yeah. with a short simple story and then we go a little longer and then we get like a longer comic story and then we get a longer yeah. dark story that was that was you know again it prefigures a lot of stuff that people were dealing with decades later and still are dealing with as a trope of horror. Some of the things they deal with. Um, like I liked the, the I thought the, the the girl's story was really creepy about like the party in the house and the the wing yes. of the house that nobody goes in and the little boy like that the was like seek stuff yeah. that was really good. I mean, someone could have a total meal of that in, in totally. That, that would be the long trailer scene that is like the selling point of some new Blumhouse movie or something yeah. like that. The sort of house so is like, oh, but the boy's been dead. Um, but I, I feel like the way they, ha- yeah, I totally agree. The little stories, I think it's an interesting tradition too. You know, like the Brits really love Christmas, and they really love all these like wintertime traditions. And it kind of it kind of goes back. I mean, I, I was trying to dig into this today and figure out where this goes back to, but it kind of goes back to just uh, the you know it was a cold, dark time of year, and people sit around the fire telling stories. And so there's a little bit of this kind of British tradition of a a scary story at Christmas time, ghost stories at Christmas time, um, and this kind of fireside uh, story. You talked about how kind of cozy that setup is, Steve, um, and the low ceilings with the beams, and, and yeah. you, can, you can just, you totally want to sit by that fire and sit with these people, and the way they're telling their stories, you can tell they're doing that that thing we all do of like telling ourselves these stories and kind of chuckling at them as a way maybe of chuckling away the darkness, but you're sort of glad to be yeah. sitting there together doing it. And the fact that it goes back maybe to a tradition, could be hundreds of years of People sitting around fires telling stories to kind of, uh, you know, um, give each other a little scare, but then also a little comfort. Um, I don't know. I, I, just, I just think that, that there's such a level of craft to those stories and that storytelling. And you can see it, Ronald, right? in the script and the way that the, oh, the stories turn, that it's just... And you were talking about just how well-scripted it is, Steve. All of that is just the, the craft of... The, they know how to do a little ghost story. Um, if you read a lot of stories from that period, the late 1800s into the early 1900s, there is a format. Frequently, a, a story will start with like a drawing room full of people having a debate and two gentlemen, and one of them yeah. saying, I can... Prove to you that there's life after death, and another person says, no, there's no way you can. And sometimes it doesn't wrap around much, and it's just like, that's the format of the story. But other right. times it does what this movie does, which is, as you said, Steve, make the wraparound like an essential part of the of the whole story. And the fact that yeah, everybody's telling, that. telling something that kind of happened to them. And yeah. I also really like the fact that we get that one comedy story that is sort of like the guy telling a joke, Um a long joke that everyone goes, oh, you had us going there for a while. That that could be a real story, and, but even that had that crazy moment where the guy commits suicide by just walking into the pond. The pond, <laughs> yeah, just drowning himself. Um, but I don't know. I feel, yeah, and that's the other thing too. The humor is in this. There is a lot of yeah. that same
2: humor that made the E-Link comedies uh, funny. Oh man, the the like. I, I so I'm all about ghosts and yeah. communicating, but the guy pointing to the sky to go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> to to go, that's just like <laughs> he but there's did a it pass like twenty times. Yeah, it it was it just cracked me up. Like it it was funny because there were different versions of it. There was like a yeah a sure version, and then it got less and less sure. And he was doing it in the background, and sometimes he would just be kind of off to the side. When, that when was, he had him on the back of the car, and you
1: could see that he was still doing it, he's still yeah. trying it as he went by. Um, you know, that segment was directed by Charles Crichton, who is the guy that directed A Fish Called Wanda uh, oh, wow. later. Oh, wow. And A Fish Called Wanda feels like a required viewing style movie, so who knows? Maybe we'll yeah. get to that. But he was a guy who has... I looked at his career. There's not a lot that I know of Charles Crichton's movies. I thought I would know more of them, but he directed a lot of movies and a lot of television. And actually, each of these segments was directed... There were four or five directors involved in this movie. Um uh, and, uh, and so I don't know I just think that that yeah, made me think here's a few rabbit holes I can fall down by finding out what some of these other movies these people made around this time were especially if they were chosen for this based on um, you know work that might have been similar to this and I did want to ask you guys a question There's a little trivia question as I was looking at the credits for this I want you to we need to decide which which cast member has the most British name uh, uh, I'm going to give you three Mervyn Johns Basil Radford or Googie Withers?
2: Googie, Googie. Uh, I, I kind of like Basil too. I'm going Basil. with
1: Basil. I was going with the second one.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I guess that's two to one. I, I think Googie Withers is an, is a remarkable name, but <laughs> yeah. I agree that Basil. If it was Basil Withers, I think it would have had it. Um,
2: <laughs>
1: but I'm really like I, Basil Dempsey.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, super British.
1: But also, let's give these Brits credit for like. Being Just the way they talk about things, I love how the exposition is handled so economically in a movie where the actors are this like studied and the dialogue is written as sharply as this. Where it just like he comes in and he says, oh, what a a pleasure to see you at this time of day. I'm so sorry we had to call you at a late hour last night. Well, I drove through the rain, but I'm here to, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's like they they, they say what they need to say and it doesn't sound clunky because there's a kind of a uh, music to it. The dialogue really is is. well delivered.
2: If two people are mad at each other, I mean, it 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 really only rivals like Bone Thugs and Harmony. Like yeah. really, like but 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 like if they're like, holy moly, like this is, it it's like you you you've been paying attention to me. I'm I'm gonna come over there and give you something. I'm gonna give you a lesson. And he's, he's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. it wasn't me. It was a it was a band. It's, I'm like, whoa, what but but you're right there is like a a poetry to it it's a rhythm to it it's like mm-hmm. a, a, a like like pantameter it feels like, like it's like a it's weird mm-hmm. it's like these couplets of dialogue that just feel very like rhythmic so cool and i i it threw me off man it really was like one of those movies that just i it was fascinating i loved the way that the buildup happened. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there were so many murders and attempted murders in this. Yeah. Yeah, but like, especially the the like doll. So it, this, this is a very unhealthy relationship with the doll and the... Like the uh, ventriloquist dummy? Ventriloquist dummy. So you think that he's being tortured and then the dummy kind of says, very, that very end of their spat, he's like, maybe you need to watch him. You know, then he just goes like... <laughs> psh, psh, psh. Man, he just like shoots him so many times. I'm like, this is, yeah, I thought that it was the other way around. You think it's the doll, but. Well, it turns out there's a weird cuck. Cuck scene where the guy's <laughs> watching
1: the other ventriloquist with his ventriloquist <laughs> dummy and that's when it turns <laughs> no but also i honestly that the, the shot that the shot that really creeped me out was there was a, sh- a low angle shot where he's in his prison cell in his bed and there's yeah. all the people crowded around the prison cell looking in yeah. and the ventriloquist dummy gets up and it's clearly like a kid in a costume all yeah. of a sudden <laughs> but it's still the angle and the makeup it really was a good creepy unsettling shot yes. and it's like um, but also, yeah, we've seen people try to do that. We saw Magic actually a previous uh, required viewing pick. That yeah, it I was clears, wondering. It clearly means I, I think that they had to know about. I mean, I feel like Magic was made with the full awareness of this, <laughs> right? Right. Um, but yeah, so uh,
0: yeah, we stalled until you came back, Steve. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> now I was gonna say, like, I, I I didn't know if you guys got to it or not, but like, I uh, some article I was reading about it. Uh, it was saying that like at least two or three of the stories, like is that what you guys were talking about? Like how it had been made into like longer format, either remade or features or something like that. Oh no, I I had not, I had not heard. Yeah. Something I read, like I I couldn't, I was trying to find it when you were talking earlier, it was talking about how, um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Mm -hmm. It was saying that I think the, 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 two stories that were, yeah, the two stories that were written by John Baines Mm-hmm. were reused for later films and the dumby episode was uh adapted into the pilot episode of a long-running CBS radio series called escape wow okay. cool but I don't know what films they were made into um but i think his the ones that he wrote uh, what did he write i think he wrote the um the one with the oh god which one was it the the haunted mirror. And uh, I guess the ventriloquist. Yeah, he did the ventriloquist. I guess those two. So I don't know. Yeah, Maybe. yeah sto-
1: story by John Baines, the haunted mirror, and um, yeah. ventriloquist dummy. Story by John Baines. Also, the the golfer's story, which is based on, which is directed by Charles Crichton. I should have mentioned also. That's based on a story called "The Story of the Inexperienced Ghost" by H. G. Wells. So we oh, oh, know wow. who H. G. Wells was. He's the War of the Worlds, and yeah. Um, Others, you know, so I, I I don't know. I think that this it's an interesting thing. The, the like the part of what makes this work is the quality of the stories themselves, and I feel I feel like they chose a well. Uh, like a, a well-tuned group of stories to work together to not be all the same tone, but to feel like they kind of all felt, they all fit the idea of here's a different person's kind of encounter with the, the uncanny and how they might talk about it. And I have to say yeah. that story in the mirror story, it's I thought it was really creepy. Like that idea yeah. of the wow. mirror that saw something bad and now it's kind of haunted. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that's been in a lot of things, but when you really think about like the way they played it out and even the way they visualized it, I thought was really, really effective. Um I, I did think it was hilarious that, you know, we've talked before about, like, the, the librarian who knows all the stories. Um, I thought this was the, the creepy antiques dealer who knows the entire haunted story of the mirror. I thought that was great that he sold it to her and then is like, oh, by the way, I should probably tell you something about that mirror. <laughs> and then he tells her something that would make you not want the mirror. <laughs> you know? Anyway. Um, so I think uh, that means the next pick is Ronald. Ronald, you're the next in the cycle. So yes. tell us what we'll be watching. What what are we required to watch in the next episode
2: okay. of Movie Schmoe? So uh, one of my favorite albums of all time is Jizza uh, Liquid Swords, and in this album there is a movie. There's movie audio blended throughout the entire album. It's a very signature thing that Wu Tang has done. Yes. That I've never seen this movie in my life. And every time I hear about it, every time I mention that I haven't seen it, martial arts fans and good storytelling fans alike get equally angry at me. It's two movies combined. Uh, The Lone Cub series Mm. was blended into one version and brought to America into a movie called Shogun Assassin people talk about this movie constantly. I've never seen it. But I've I know several audio clips from it. And um, it's supposed to be gorgeous. It's supposed to be good storytelling. But uh, Shogun Assassin um, built in it. So what makes this especially special is it's two films combined. Yes. But it, it is one of those cases where the dubbing had an extraordinary cast to do it. And I don't even think there's a version with subtitles because this version was so good. Like, I think that people kind of X'd it out. I mean, you can find it if you, you know, if you're hearing impaired or something like that. But in terms of just dubbing, this is the version. Shogun Assassin is the version. Um, So that is my pick. Uh, Let's see. Let's see if we can watch this. uh, you looking it up yeah i want to see where it is i can't the, 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 i guess the issue is i know that it's on all services to buy i'm trying to see if i can find it on the place to stream while
1: you're looking that up i'll add one little factoid to uh dead of night that i didn't mention is that it, it's partially shot by douglas slocum who is a cinematographer who if you look at his resume you'll go you'll go oh that guy but he's the guy who was the cinematographer for the first three indiana jones movies so if that gives you an idea of his uh and the lion in winter and uh, a few other things so yeah that's another like kind of cool cross-section that he was working that long ago uh and it might be you know accounts for why the movie like the lighting and the the camera work was so so effective i think it's probably they had a real real master doing it ronald
2: Ronald, have you found it (laughs) yeah this is uh oh my goodness this is really (laughs) wow (laughs) i've never seen this before it's not in very many places it looks like (laughs) One of the only places that is showing up on Just Watch is the Criterion Channel. That's the only place where I can find it. Holy moly, it, I, I've never been so deadlocked in a in a movie before. We'll figure it out. <laughs> People will watch, or they'll yeah, hear yeah. they'll
1: hear us talk about it, and they'll they'll find their ways. Of watching. Yeah,
2: there, there are ways to watch it. There are ways to watch it, but not many. Um, and if you if you have a friend, that, this this is interesting. I don't know if I've ever run into this before. Like I cannot find this anywhere but the Criterion channel. I know that they remastered it pretty that recently. might be the only place you can watch it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Criterion. Really, really.
2: Oh, that's really cool. So um Criterion or a local rental place. Cause they exist. They exist. Yeah. Uh Shogun Assassin. I'm so excited to see this. I'm finally ready to sit down and enjoy a Shogun story. Yeah. About a a kid in his father. And also, it's good, uh,
1: you know, good mix. We haven't, you know, we certainly haven't watched a Shogun story before.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure,
1: man. We need to tick that box. Awesome. Well, uh, what is our next subject? I I will just throw out there maybe we should talk a little bit about the legacy of Norman Lear, who died this week and, like, okay, 101 years old. I mean, he was 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 crazy.
2: He lived a life
1: was working back and he had like a, a life before he had the career that we know him for, you know, um, but definitely in the, in the late 60s into the early 70s, the guy was on fire as a TV writer and TV creator. Yeah. And the first thing I thought of today when people were talking about him was he's one of those rare examples of somebody who's like both extremely edgy and totally mainstream in the sense of like, he, he hit, I mean, these hugely successful cultural sensations that he had a hand in crafting or even just bringing to America some of the shows that he, you know, is most famous for were shows that he um, uh, uh, Americanized, you know, did like an American version. Um, uh, just to look at, though, like, okay, the shows he created between, I don't know what this is, maybe 70 and 75 are All in the Family, Sanford and Son, Maud, Good Times, and The Jeffersons. Um, and the next show he created was a show called Hot L Baltimore, which was a Baltimore-based show that was based on a, a trashy hotel where the E had fallen off the sign. And so it was Hot L Baltimore is what it was called. Oh. Uh, but it was like it was supposed to be like a seedy, kind of trashy hotel. I don't know why he chose Baltimore as the location for that. Um, I, I, I encourage you guys to seek out the uh, – the, you can find the opening theme and a, a television commercial, like a, a clip promoting wow. the show. Um, it lasted for maybe half a season or something like that. It was not not a well-regarded show, but it was, at the time, meant to be sort of another of Norman Lear's kind of socially progressive shows because of the people who were hanging around the hotel. Like, the characters included uh, sex workers and a gay couple and, you know, had probably his usual kind of, like, racially charged, uh, you know, ethnically yeah. charged, whatever, humor. Uh, I, 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 I'm I, curious. I kind of want to seek it out. I bet it's pretty bad. But I also thought it was kind of interesting. He had that string of total pearls in terms of television. And then he tries to – he gets involved with Baltimore. He gets involved with our city, and he can't make You're it right. work. What is it about Baltimore? It brought even Norman Lear down, his first flop.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think also at the time he had one day at a time. I remember – Like, that was his next show. So he, he did yeah, bounce yeah. back. But if you look at his next several shows, there is like a lot of stuff that you go, oh, okay, that's when you get into uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which I know, Mm -hmm. people know. But then you got The Dumplings, All's Fair, The Nancy Walker Show, All That Glitters, and then Fernwood Tonight, which if you know what that one is, that is a, you know, that's a a big show, but um, kind of a cult show. Anyway, a guy who had an amazing career, but especially if you just look at that period between All in the Family and the Jeffersons, like, that shit was just... That was just always on when I was a kid. I didn't even think about when it must have started or when it must have ended. But, you know, to be started in the early to mid-70s and to last kind of into the 80s, and I think remained relevant for at least a couple... Two maybe two or three decades, like the Jeffersons, like that had currency that idea. I think maybe now it's drifted off a lot of people's radar. But just the different idea, strokes. well, yeah, different strokes was was much many shows later. But that we're still talking only about four or five yeah. years later. I think that was like yeah. seventy nine or eighty. So yeah. no, it's crazy. What what a crazy career. But especially when you look at what he was able to do when he was able to do it, and the fact that he was putting himself you know in the middle of these issues. I don't know. I, I'm, I know I'm a little older than you guys. Did you grow up with these shows on syndication and being played in every? house and everywhere you went when you were growing up like i did yeah i
0: mean
2: yeah go Uh, ahead ronald um yeah yeah i mean it's it had a pretty astronomical effect on my sense of humor i mean uh, all in the family jefferson's a little bit of Mod, good times still Mm -hmm. uh sanford and son i mean so I, i i like the gerard carmichael show and the fact that he had him on set to help him kind of even shape the show in this kind of Norman Lear style of tackling big subjects every episode, ironing it out and kind of coming to like a conclusion that maybe you didn't expect from people. Um, and an honesty that's exercised on screen that I, I only see in Norman Lear stuff to the stuff, the live in front of a studio audience that just, if you if, if you guys have never seen it, listeners, man, watch live in front of a studio audience, which is just basically they choose one episode, a big episode from one of his works.
1: Oh, they and get like the modern actors to do it? Yes, yes.
2: yes. We watched a couple it's, of those. Those so are so good. fun. Those are so fun. so fun. So fun. And watch Gerard Carmichael's show to kind of see yeah. the echoes of it in there. But- Ronald, I-, I like what you're bringing up, though, because it's like how many people have not just revolutionized
1: a genre, but like a medium, the kind of popular form yeah. of the three-camera a uh, sitcom that we think of from our youth a lot, a lot of that was him i mean they a lot of stuff was shot on film before he was one of the first people to focus i mean my understanding maybe i'm getting some historical details wrong but i think he was one of the people who like revolutionized that kind of shot on video with multiple cameras like it was and which became the format of the sitcom for yeah. Yeah, for what we remembered you know i didn't mean it, to interrupt i just wanted to throw No that no out it's, there.
2: it's it's cool um so yeah i like i for sure wouldn't have done anything with with like stand up or anything if I hadn't seen some of this stuff like Red Fox had an had a huge impact on me. And, you know, he was brought to us through Norman Lear. Um, so, yeah, I I'm not go lie to you. I, I was really sad. I'm still. I'm really sad that he passed away. He's 101. But yeah, uh, I know. You want him to <laughs> the, live forever,
0: right? I mean? Of all the runs, though,
2: like 101 <laughs> is a, pretty. That that, good. that
0: that that's a peak right there. Yeah, that's a run. So, the, Steve,
2: would you? What about you? What are you? No, nah, basically
0: what you just said. I mean, I yeah, I remember. Gro- I mean, growing up, the the ones you rattled off earlier, John, like the, the the front end of it for the main part, and 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 then eventually different strokes. But, um, yeah, like good times and Jefferson's like. Stanford and like I just they were always on, you know, syndication. Like my grandparents, I remember my grandfather always watching them. I mean, just, you know, and hearing them laugh to those shows like is a memory, you know, in my head of like kind of like the kind of people and they were and the kind of comedy they liked, you know. So it's like growing up just sitting there on the floor and you know, at my grandparents' house watching those shows with them. And obviously my parents too, but specifically my grandparents, I know loved a lot of the shows that he had had a hand in and uh yeah just watched them all the time there yeah i mean they're they're landmark shows and uh, you know they're they're benchmark shows too like john said like you know they're like kind of what things are measured against or at least to say like you know what started the type of shows that we watch now but uh yeah i mean crazy crazy run um and uh but yeah what an amazing (laughs) What, what a fortunate uh man and you know to, to, yeah. for what he was able to stay here or the, the amount of time he was able to stay here and what he was able to put into the world I mean it was yeah thank you It was great D- just a quick
1: uh survey here w- w- do you have a favorite uh like uh Norman Lear protagonist or or you know actor in a role in that in that group of iconic parts
0: Oh, man. I mean,
1: I'll just throw out there, Sherman Helmsley as George Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> it's Im- almost yeah. impossible to, be, to, to to make that character what he was in terms of the sort of progressive depiction that that yeah, show yeah, represented, yeah, yeah. but also to then make him a guy who was an asshole with a chip on his shoulder. Not, not, not like the same as Archie Bunker, but... Uh, that type of guy to the people around him, a guy who became a little bit hard to deal with, and then he give him like Florence as a as a as a maid that like you know gives him he talks back to him. I don't know. I just all that stuff was a funny dynamic, but so much of that came from that character's sort of bruised ego and how you know we love him, but we also he was kind con- he was you know he wasn't again in the wrong the same way that Archie Bunker was, but it was a similar thing to let's have a protagonist of a show who's constantly learning lessons, you know. <laughs> and I just think that like I don't know that made me laugh so much. And I look at it now and I realize so often now you go back to some classic show like that and you go like when you realize like, oh, wait, uh Don Knotts was incredible as Barney Fife. That was a great performance. You know, I realized, I think I was, I think that Sherman Helmsley's performance, you know, uh, there, the, uh, there's one other obvious one that might be my contender, but that's the one that jumps to mind. I'd have
0: to go with Red Fox, I think. Yeah. As Fred Sanford. I mean, hilarious. I just, hilarious. That, 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 that's, that's the thing. Again, I just said like with my grandparents laughing, like it was, it was him. And, you know, like, I have so many like ep- I can I can remember specific episodes of that show because of like his performance and the way he and honestly like the bond that he has with Lamont, like I just feel like you know, they're the faking the heart they're attacks. Re- they're really yeah, that, I was gonna just say, like every time he fakes it, this is the this is the big one. Like anytime he's in like a moment like that he can't get himself out of, like he just would fake that and like look up to this guy, like calling his wife. You know, that, that shit is like that's like so and that's like stained in my brain, you know, it's like, so good. and I mean, I, I'll catch episodes of that still now, every once in a while, like randomly come across something. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I got, I got to go with Sanford. I mean, I, just mm-hmm. because that's the one that always had my grandparents dying. Yeah. And I just feel like that just had such an impact on me. What about you, Ron? Um,
2: yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw a wild card out there, man. Cause, cause when I saw her, it shook mm. up my world because mm. I would say hit him. I would say Fred Sanford, Fred G Sanford, but when I saw Thelma mm. on Good Times, I mm-hmm. I had never seen somebody like her before. Okay, even yeah. skin, afro. She was confident and funny, and she used to jab at JJ and she'd hurt yeah. JJ's feelings all the time. Like, what are you talk about Dummy. I mean, what am I, what am I doing? Uh, what's the name? I'm doing Red Fox. <laughs> hey, hey! I mean, uh, <laughs> so we there's we no talk- difference
1: between <laughs> Thelma and Red Fox, you know. um But like, but that's great. You're right, Ronald. That's a really good pick. <laughs> not, not a good impression, but a really good pick.
0: You're very tired, Ryan. Ronald. I am. I understand. I, am, man. I understand.
1: Oh, I understand. Listen to the way we talk about these characters. <laughs> we feel like we know these people. We lived with yeah. these characters because they're so well drawn, and because there's so much of it. These shows ran for a while. There's, you know, the other. I mean, you got to give props to the 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 construction of Archie Bunker um Carol O'Connor's performance like it never occurred to me that he was a guy in his his late 40s um uh you know watching the show but also just I the fact that that's not a real person that that's that's a a performance it kind of blows your mind you know if you hear Carol O'Connor talk and he's like this kind of erudite uh thespian it kind of knocks you on your socks to uh, knocks you on your socks knocks your socks off or knocks you on your ass knocks your socks (laughs) on your ass we are we are all at that point guys this will knock your socks if only you had and, said that as
0: Fred G. sanford that i, I that don't think i'm i don't think i'm
1: allowed to do that voice um, the the, um, it'll knock your socks off your feet and onto your ass <laughs> um but no just that that's a great construction too but no i, I think that's a good those that's a good round of picks and also as yeah there's there's an emotional attachment to this stuff and it is yeah, weird sure. when somebody who has been around that long and to even be an advisor to jared uh, uh carmichael um yeah Or Gerard Carmichael. Um, As you said, like that shows you that even as recently as that, he was being viewed as a valuable voice in in the field that he helped pioneer, innovate, whatever we want to call that. I mean, we're not pretending he invented the sitcom, but it is true. If you really look at that clutch of shows, that really was like – I mean shit, that was such a huge portion of what was syndicated when I was a kid. That and like it Alice was. and Three's Company. Maybe those shows had been phased out, but I don't know.
2: No, Three's Company no, oh, okay. it was huge. It was huge. I mean yeah. unless I mean we could have a whole yeah, hour and, and a half conversation about that.
1: Show. We should do a required viewing the pilot episode <laughs> of Three's Company. Um <laughs> But yeah, so rest in peace, uh, Norman Lear. But uh, yeah, as you said, Ronald, you kind of thought he would live forever uh, because he'd made it to 100. It was like, well, maybe he's an immortal being, and we just are starting to see that. Right, (laughs) right. right. Um, Also, also he he made that bucket hat just look like the most stylish thing a guy his age could do. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's wild, man. Okay. So I know Steve and I saw a movie, um, and then I guess we'll get to Bits and Bobs with Ronald James. Uh, but maybe you're
2: curious about it. I don't know, Ronald. I'm, uh, come about on. Godzilla minus one. I'm so, so curious. Did you? Can I ask you guys a question? Because I've been hearing this a lot. Yeah. Did you guys get choked up? Yes. Definitely, I, keep I hear, did. I keep hearing this. That's like a very common part of reviews. Like, I, I almost cried like crazy watching this movie.
1: I would say the only thing that kept me from getting choked up is the fact that our protagonist... Get, definitely gets choked up for you. Like there's some, there's like three or four ugly cry scenes with this guy, that mm. I think is like at that moment when a character starts breaking down, it takes a little bit of the pressure off of me. But when a character is not breaking down, I feel a little bit more like I'm likely to be choked up because that's yeah, like yeah. a, the emotion transfers to me. But this movie was actually displaying. I mean, honestly, a character who was very emotional and very cowardly and had a lot to sort of uh, atone for in a sense yeah. at the center of this movie. So I can see why people are saying this movie packs a, an emotional punch, but it did not trigger the you know I'm some, somewhat of an easy cry, and this one did not get me. But again, in the thought, there were some scenes where I thought about what just the weight of certain things that that were happening in it, and it did uh, you know it felt it felt like uh, I mean I think the, the the official line on this movie right is that this is one of the best, if not the best attempt they've had at making the human characters feel like they matter in a in a Godzilla movie and I don't I, I don't know enough about the, the the tradition there's dozens of Godzilla movies I don't know enough about those movies to know whether that's true that this is actually the best but in terms of the ones I've seen in the reboots in the recent years um uh, i I could I could see that being true that this is one of the best stabs they've had yet at saying like you're gonna follow human characters and you're not gonna be watching them going what why why am I watching these human characters? I'm just waiting for Godzilla in this movie there was more to chew on than that didn't you think so, Steve?
0: <clears throat> oh yeah oh yeah I mean, I think that's the biggest success uh of the movie is the fact that uh you know, you get introduced to characters that you follow uh th- for all three acts of the movie that you you really are caring about what's happening. <clears throat> to the characters and as new characters are introduced, you know, you get to spend time with new characters that kind of add weight to the situation that our main character is going through mm-hmm. and navigating like this PTSD that he's going through and um, a unique situation with, you know, people that he's, uh, you know, he he's living with and and having a version of a family with now. The guys on the um, boat uh, as well later become like. Right. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying like everybody that gets introduced is kind of just layering upon. I'm sorry. He's layer upon layer of like why I care about the main character mm-hmm. um, and, and, and even the ones around him. I mean, there's there's some other characters in the movie that you really do care about. But but um the main character, Kuichi like I, I feel like when you're introduced to him, you know, you kind of get this feeling of, you know, uh. There's a lot of there's a lot of exploration of like of the war and the kamikaze pilots in the beginning of the movie actually through the whole film
1: mm-hmm. and
0: you know when when and they even use it as a line of dialogue basically like I can't fault you for like not wanting to do this when it's already when we've already lost you know Damn. like some version of that like yeah. he he basically lands on this island to start the film and you know that's where, you know that gets introduced to Godzilla pretty early in the movie, but he basically is landing his plane, he's grounding his plane voluntarily because I don't want to kill myself because this war is over. Right. You know, and that's heavy already. Like it's it's yeah, there's so much weight to that, and even the first exchange that the engineer, the mechanic, and and our main character has. It it's heavy, man. It's really heavy. But then Godzilla walks into the scene. Yeah. Mm. So it's that kind of stuff. But like literally,
1: Ronald Godzilla
0: walks into this situation. That <laughs> yes. In. That's so yes. crazy. Um but you I think that's really what makes foot. it so it makes it so great, is just because like um the drama itself works really, really well. Like, it's just the thing that's pivoting around everything is Godzilla in this movie. I mean, it is a Godzilla film, don't get me wrong. I mean, and you see lots of great, great Godzilla footage and action and attacks and heat rays and all the great shit that you want to see in a Godzilla movie. Um, But what, what makes this movie such a winner? And, and yeah, I, I, from the ones I've seen, and I've watched a bunch with my dad, like, I actually want to take him back now that I've seen that they're extending the run of the movie um through the Oh end they of the are. Year, I'm glad like.
1: cuz what I'd heard yeah. was that it was g- going to be gone in a week or something and that's Well, first strange. they
0: said to the Well, first the extension was to the 14th and then I just read the day, um we're recording this on the 7th that apparently it's going to maybe go through at least the end of the year and like wow. it's maintaining IMAX screens too, which is really big. And I actually saw it on IMAX, which was fantastic. Wow. Um but yeah, I can't wait to take him back to see it. I'll just say yeah, it's definitely one of the best Godzilla movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, Better than any. I mean, just just across the board, just better than any of the like monster verse stuff that we've seen thus far, mainly because of how great the human stuff works. Um, But man, I love this movie. Like, I really genuinely loved it. And I there's no doubt it's going to be in my top films of the year. Uh, I really am excited for you to see it, Ronald. And if you can see it in IMAX, if, yeah. it, if it's extending that run, okay. try to go see it in a theater. Because the Godzilla shit is amazing. I mean, it looks so good. You want God's, You want Godzilla to see it. You
1: want, Ron, Ronald, I just confused you with Godzilla. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lighting was different. No, um, you want Ronald to see this in the theater. However, I also want Ronald to... Uh, geek out about how this sounds in his home theater because this has got like a nice repurposing of the traditional Godzilla sounds like yeah 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 and that's we haven't really talked about the fact that this is essentially if not a reboot Kind of like a Halloween 2018 of Godzilla in that this is like one that <laughs> yeah. goes back to the origins it's set in the 40s. It goes back to the origins of the idea and the character. And same always, music, right? Like they I, supposedly it's, use it's, the same it's,
0: music. It's, it's got it in the movie, yeah, the original same. theme. But, but I mean, yeah.
1: like I've, I've always heard that Godzilla was this allegory for like post-World War II Japan. Mm. And I've always seen that but never fully felt it the way that this movie does it i'm sure maybe if i went back and watched everything with the knowledge that i could and i'm actually kind of interested in it but i i do like the way this movie even the look of the godzilla uh the design it kind of bridges the gap between what we've seen recently and kind of a man in suit sort of appearance like it does a pretty good job of feeling like somehow it it's a timeless standalone godzilla story that doesn't quite um doesn't quite cancel out or attach itself or detach itself to or from other Godzilla movies. I, I mean, I don't right, know how much right. of the lore of this movie is different. There's a way that Godzilla, you know, you know, Godzilla going to persist in some way, and yeah. the way that they depict that he's, you know, he's an ongoing force. I don't know if I've seen quite this version of it before, but it kind of reminded me of like Jason Voorhees, the way that you know, <laughs> the, the way they could just pull anything out of their ass to say like this is why he's making it to another movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I think that, yeah, without that frame of reference and seeing it kind of late and being kind of tired, what really got to me was the the characters on the boat I really loved. Um, It reminded me of like Jaws or something. Um, and it, Very and much. The yeah. stuff out on the water of these people in these meager circumstances going versus Godzilla. You know, you, the, the, the guys in the big boats with the big guns show up, but it doesn't go great for them. And then our, our heroes, with what little they have, have to figure out what to do. And there's a yeah. huge redemption shot for this for this kamikaze guy who we, we appreciate. I mean, honestly, the more we talked about that, Steve, the more it was hitting me. What a, what a tricky, like complicated moral predicament that is to have a character whose job was to die. And mm. He shirked his job, the job he was going to do on behalf of his country that just lost a war, um, and and he's now a picture of the failure to even do this job. However, no one can blame you for not wanting to just go drive your pl- drive your plane, fly your plane into something because you're supposed to when there's no more war to fight. So it's like. It's a huge, heavy human debate that centers on this guy, and the way people react to him, like, he really has to kind of earn people's respect the second that even people that like him, when they find out what he did, that he kind of abandoned his, you know, his post, so to speak, uh, or uh, voluntarily quit the mission. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's it's like something that works as both a sort of, I can't really relate to that. That's huge. That's historical. Well, oh, my right. God. I haven't thought about kamikaze pilots this way before. But also, we can all think about that thing, you know, on the more human level of just, like, something that you carry with you that you don't know that you can ever put mm. yeah. right. And and so I do think it gives the character a certain kind of poignance that, maybe again, maybe is rare for Godzilla movies, but certainly is rare for this type of heroic character. We've seen a much more, like... Tough guy version of this character before. Um, and this was, a, again, I don't know if it's a cultural thing that maybe it's not as unexpected uh, to have a, a Japanese protagonist be a little bit more fully rounded and emotional or something. But uh, it felt to me like one of the ways in which this movie definitely is not an overly westernized movie um, is the way that it digs into the PTSD and the post war thing.
0: And even just, yeah, the. the the
1: kamikaze pilot who lived is a pretty interesting
0: yeah survivor's guilt is like philosophical is, conundrum it's, 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 right. it's crazy um but yeah i i i i don't want to like just go on especially yeah, yeah. I don't want to say anything more to ruin anything for ronald because um, no, i i do think he wants to see it so i uh i, I yeah just to say like <laughs> you want a great Godzilla movie you know you want a blockbuster you want a blockbuster film Period. Just go see this in a the theater right now. Like, see, this, was, this, uh, the... was was your audience reactive? Mine was. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like my, <laughs> I went uh, two o'clock or two fifteen to an IMAX showing. That was, and the IMAX screens. I mean, the theaters are pretty big. Like count, like count wise. So like, it wasn't like sold out. But I mean, there was a decent amount of people in there mm. for the afternoon. And I mean, the movie's been like going up in box office every day. So like, wow. that's the why they're extending the run, and the word of mouth is really great on it. So, um, yeah, I just feel like this is, there's no reason, like, this is blockbuster filmmaking on a monstrous scale, literally, and it is just, it was great, honestly, man. Like, it was so entertaining. The visual effects, we mentioned it last week, like, if whatever the budget being $15 million is completely bonkers to me like i yeah. i don't know i don't know how i've heard that movie. that number might be deceptive if we compare it to the way the, the film yeah.
1: industry and the way tax credits or whatever might work yeah. in, in japan but either way it's definitely a got a scrappy upstart kind of quality to it the fact that it's not you know a, a funny thing it's not part of the franchise they just released a trailer for the new godzilla versus kong movie yeah and yeah. um i i thought i wondered if that's going to cause confusion And then in the bathroom after the movie, there were like three guys in there that started talking that they thought... They didn't know until the end of the movie that they weren't at the the one they saw the trailer for, and they were completely bewildered because they were like, get out of here. How is this movie going to be? Yeah. They no didn't, They didn't know they weren't watching Godzilla. There were three guys that had the same, and I don't think they were together. I think- I, it's, Holy so, moly. So I was, you know, I almost stopped to say like, thank you for giving me this informal, you know, urinal survey of people talking about this movie. But it, it's like, okay, so there might be some confusion on some people's part, but I did think even if there's not confusion, it was an interesting thing that this movie started getting all this great word of mouth, and then they dropped that trailer, which, you know, I still think I'm I'm on board uh, for that franchise, but I do agree that like this version of Godzilla, this sort of treatment of it, is just so much more stripped down. And uh, uh, you know yeah. maybe maybe even the nature of the human story they tr- try to tell in this movie it gives you a more stripped down relationship between humanity and the and the monster, um, which that's works wild. which works surprisingly well. But it's funny to imagine watching this movie and waiting like when is when is uh, John Goodman uh, going to show up?
0: <laughs> yeah, where's Kong?
2: <laughs> where's Kong? Uh, this, this yeah, this, man, is, but, this is
1: getting long. You know they haven't even they haven't even gotten they haven't the trailer even shown yet.
2: Them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Shin Godzilla, so like that's. Yeah, the yeah. Japanese he, Godzilla movies are just. If you dig that, man, this is gonna. No,
0: Ronald, this is gonna, gonna rock you. Mine. Yeah, oh, it's gonna it's gonna rock you, dude. I'm ready, man. Honestly, the scene the scene that you asked, like when you asked about like getting like a little choked up or emotional, like there's a scene that that scene I think is in the movie. Like the the, the scene that got me. I'm sorry, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, it's you know in the in the finale of the movie it's just like top. Scenes of the movie going for the year for me. You're talking about the
1: quiet moment.
0: Yes, my yes,
1: my audience
0: goosebumps was, then tears.
1: It got so quiet, and you see the looks on the faces. Yep. If we're talking about the same moment, we must. Yes, be. we are. Yes, uh, it's an all is lost moment. Um, yes, and I heard uh, someone's down. The people were reacting to like there was a couple shocking moments like that in the movie, uh, and this one uh, woman down down the aisle for me said. Um, Oh, that is so sad. <laughs> At the moment we're talking about. And I'll admit, that moment got me. When people talk about getting choked up, I yes. always assume they're talking about some of the struggle more directly of the main character. But that moment, the way that, that involved, that little family of characters, and there's one character who, uh, the kind of wild-haired guy who I just mm-hmm. loved him. The, the, look on, yeah. the look on his face, the sort of fading hope that you see on his face in that moment. Really, yeah, no, incredible. And I, so I would agree, that, that moment, that, that's when I came closest to just being like, like oh shit! How did this movie get me to this place where I'm sort of I'm sort of sure something terrible is about to happen, and yeah. I and I and I actually care. Like we said in a Godzilla movie, normally you see what looks like hundreds of people getting getting killed, and you don't really care. Um, but in
0: this, right, I really right. I really was like, no, not these guys. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the only other thing I want to mention real quick, and we can move on. Um, you mentioned that trailer for Godzilla X Kong or whatever that new one's called. Mm-hmm. Um. One thing like watching that trailer, which I'm in the bag for for sure. Like I'm, I'm there. Yeah, me too. Uh but watching that trailer and then seeing this movie, the one thing I, I worry about with those movies, the MonsterVerse movies, and like I kind of feel it a little bit watching the uh the monarch series um of what we've seen so far with the creatures is that like I I, I worry that they're losing the scale of how big Yeah, Mm. these creatures are. Yeah,
2: because there's
0: you know there's a sequence earlier in the movie of minus one where Godzilla's not that big, right? You know, and and we and we see historical nuclear testing at Bikini Atoll, you know, that makes Godzilla the 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 beast that he becomes really more so, and like that scale is just completely bonkers, like how how large Godzilla is when we see him later in the movie, Mm -hmm. um. But in the MonsterVerse films, like, especially in the, in the trailer for the newer one, when you finally see Godzilla pop up, it it, it kind of just, I don't know, like, I, unless this, like, under this world that they're in, you know, in that shot, like, when they're kind of running together, like, yeah. it doesn't, they don't look as big as they used to look for some reason to me. Like, they look like they're, I don't know, a couple thirty. Forty feet tall, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. not not like hundreds of feet in the air. At the very
1: least, it looks like Godzilla is smaller compared to Kong than he should be. Even though they, they made right. it, they made it sound like they kept growing. So I don't know. That's probably their excuse is that they just can they can do whatever they want because they they've said that that Kong kept growing.
0: Yeah, I just I just, I just mean to say like seeing this one and and specifically the Ginza scene, like when he's attacking the city, mm-hmm. like the scale is just insane like mm-hmm. it is it is insane and like and, and I literally just watched the other trailer that when you guys sent it like earlier that day and was like okay well this this godzilla is fuck, this is huge like the other one doesn't look like a, this big anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe it's just the shot i don't know i hope i hope that 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 scale is still maintained but yeah Ronald, go see this when you can man it, I can't don't, wait. don't 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 lose it don't let it get out of theater again okay. at least another couple of weeks it'll be in theaters but um mm-hmm. There's even there's even rumblings that it may possibly. Uh uh, go up this weekend and maybe be the number one movie this mm-hmm. weekend. Wow. Which would I mean, be insane. I, I could believe it because it went from something I was curious about to
1: something that I felt like I needed to see based yeah. on the word of mouth. Like, I mean, that's that's when I start getting, I'm sure you guys have the same, yeah. whatever pipeline it is that you get your info through, but you can tell when people are saying like, holy shit. And then like film buffs, people you know, people like Joe Giordano here in town, people that just see a lot of movies that start raving about stuff. And you start going, okay. All my seenster friends have have said I, I need to see this one, um, and yeah, I definitely think it's one of those. And 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 again, I went at like ten thirty on a school night, uh, and it was crowded. Not crowded, but for one of those screenings, which are usually ghost towns, that, um, that were you know a couple of couple of rows full of people. So um, That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, I love so. it when word of mouth brings a movie like this me too. you know, and obviously there's a here's a thing that we can say is that there's an affection for these franchises when they' when they feel special to people and I feel like I was in the, the room with a bunch of people of different ages and different you know different races and creeds and <laughs> backgrounds and there was this weird unified it was almost like a James Bond thing or something where it's like <laughs> Godzilla brought us together do you know what I mean like here's a thing that brings a certain certain group of people out to the theater yeah. um, and like I think there is a there is I don't know a cinematic tradition that this fits in in a really uh, uh, admirable way
2: <clears throat> really cool
1: so ronald hit us with Gosh, hit us yeah. hit us
2: with your bits and bobs tell us something ronald uh really just one show that has been blowing my mind out of my eyes and brain and that's oh, uh, jesus
0: mind out of your eyes and brain yeah wow. just where like, you keep it now coming out of, it <laughs> he, he separates it evenly between <laughs> the two <laughs> blew <laughs> your mind
1: out of your brain i like that <laughs> and out of his eyes <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, that's like oozing at his eyes pop I can't out. wait to I can't
0: wait. He's Isn't gonna the, be like I can't wait yeah. to hear the show. He's gonna be like, it's bluey. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the price is right. Have you guys it seen is, this? It is actually <laughs> blippy. No, that's not, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh no, blue eyed samurai. Okay. Oh, okay. What the fuck? Like I, I I humbly just went to it because um there was a guy that does like uh <laughs> like sound stuff. and He's he's he he does not like Netflix stuff. He's just like Netflix is trash, the sound yeah, is trash. That's what I was going to
0: say. He's like you like walk to like what's up Netflix?
2: Let me see this show real yeah, quick. Yeah, let me see this. Then I'm like, "Oh my god. So, one of the things <laughs> this is one of the few shows that I've watched. You know there's like a big problem with like sound design and sound bars and and home theaters where people literally have to crank the sound up and turn on the captions. You do not need that for this show. It, it It is such a beautifully mixed show. It is a beautiful story where a a woman is kind of taken in after a series of horrific things that happens. Uh, her mom is kind of kidnapped and maybe assaulted. And I'm gonna kind of getting into that part. Um, and this, this blue-eyed samurai ha- ha comes about. In Japan, so it's like the equivalent of a white person walking around in Japan, wreaking havoc to to, to kind of seek revenge for the person that grabbed her mom, impregnated her, and, and abused her. And it, it it is so well done. Nobody knows that she's a woman. She's a very uh, androgynous. Uh, she keeps it very uh, inconspicuous as well. Like mm-hmm. you, you can't really see her for too long. She keeps glasses on. She has a big hat. She kind of talks to people a very specific way and she is a monster. She will cut your fingers off your hand. If you cross her uh, and her friend, uh, I don't want to get too into him and, and what he physically looks like. Cause that kind of plays a way, uh, way into it, but she has a guy that kind of accompanies him. That's the comic relief. Cause she really doesn't have a sense of humor at all at only when she's killing people, does she start making jokes? That's it. Um, and apparently it's based on a story of a woman. Uh, the the writer knew of a story in her family where there were a, a couple biracial situations where there was, you know, someone was half Asian, half white. And she's about how it would have been to, to be in Japan and, and move around in a space where people are very leery of people with blue eyes and Mm -hmm. anything European. So it's a cool story. Well done. Well mixed. It sounds incredible. The script is very good. The voice acting is and it's English. It's all in English. Um, Um, And it has kind of like a cel-shaded style. I don't know if I've... You know, it reminds me of Wish. It looks like Wish, but a little brighter. A little brighter. They really make up a point to show landscapes and things like that, but... Blue eyed samurai is blowing my mind as I'm watching it. So, um, can't wait to
1: see it. Yeah, so I
0: think you.
2: Yeah, I think it.
1: this this blue eyed. Um, I don't want to, I, I can't decide if this is offensive to people with blue eyes or not. I'll have to watch
2: it and find out if I can do that. So I just wanna,
1: we- I'll just throw out there real quickly <clears throat> that I saw the documentary that I've kind of had on the horizon for a while. Very fun topic, but a, a good documentary just came out about the the, the infamous Star Wars holiday special, um, which if you know, you know. Um, and if you don't know, you still might find this in an entertaining doc. It's one of those... Fun, light pop culture docs that's got a lot of talking heads in it, and, um, you know, I definitely laughed out loud a couple times at just the descriptions of things and how things happened, but also it's got a really cool assemblage of footage, different, you know, you don't have, like, fresh interviews with people associated with Star Wars, but you do have a little bit of Harrison Ford from like uh, press appearances and some Mark Hamill stuff and a lot of the historical basis of how this Star Wars if you know about the holiday special you know that it was you know a corny variety show produced for CBS at a moment when Star Wars was it wasn't clear how they were going to turn it into a huge franchise yet. Um, after Empire Strikes Back, they kind of had it locked down, and they 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 talk about that in the movie that between those two movies, the first two, it was like it wasn't really clear that maybe it was like, oh, if you can get the Star Wars characters on Donnie and Marie to like hype the thing, keep it in keep it alive in people's minds, you know, wow. um, we'll do it. And, and you know, things that you would never have later. And I don't want to spoil some of the funnier things about some of that stuff, but I think that if you are a Star Wars fan who kind of missed. This is the fun of being a Star Wars fan. This movie kind of brought back a little bit of that feeling of this is a fun topic that reminded me of the years when you would know somebody that had a video cassette of that special and you would be watching like a, a fifth generation dub of the thing um, with <laughs> commercials in it and stuff. And that's also part of wow. the appeal now, is that it's so of its time. So um yeah, you know, if you, you if if you know what I mean when I say light and frothy pop culture documentary with lots of talking heads, people like Paul Shear and Taryn Killam, and then people that are actually involved um you know it's that style it's like the vh1 style of pop culture <laughs> commentary um, but with a little bit of uh, you know again a little bit maybe of that underlying current of this is sort of about what 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 the phenomenon of star wars meant when it was a fun idea and maybe before it became this thing to be you know obsessive and gatekeepery about um so yeah disturbance in the force is out there now on on various streamers uh, you can rent it or buy
2: it can I mention one more thing that's been in my brain that I'm sure. been? Trying? Well, so, you, well,
1: you mentioned a bit, but you didn't do a Bob. So this I didn't is, do a Bob. Yeah,
2: okay. Yeah. So um, I've been really into this idea of uh, seeing. So, so everybody always talks about um, the way Star Wars was when it first came out, right? Like how how amazing it was, how it hit people, how it felt. Yeah, how it felt. And I've been kind of on this like mission to find a version that was like a definitive, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And I look no further than the 4K project that came up um, in the last like, i say six or seven years. Um, So somebody took a 35 millimeter print and essentially rendered it into 4K and uh, did as little artificial work to it as they can. Uh, and, and it is even to to people like uh, it's been cited the despecialized and the 4K one has been mentioned by JJ Abrams like JJ Abrams uses it as a source to be like man he's actually approached Disney and said hey hey why don't you put this out right somebody's making something that looks incredible um and one of the issues about just Star Wars in general is because it has 10 edits. People are, are talking about different versions sometimes when they're mentioning, hey, I remember when this part happened and somebody doesn't remember it at all because it didn't exist in some of the edits that they saw. Mm-hmm. So this is this 4K project, that's 4K 77, 4K 80 and 4K 83. Mm-hmm. My God, did I get that right? OK, so those okay. three. Yeah, so they're free. You can find them on the Internet. They're huge, though. They're like 50 gigs each. And I'm I'm on this kind of this weekend, uh, my wife's weekend before her birthday. I think we're gonna start on them. I, look it up. Look up the 4K 77 project. It is hard work that people are doing to make these. And it's beta. There's like versions. There's like a uh, software updates every couple months. You'll get like, oh, this is 1.5, 1.6. But this is supposedly, and even according to some people that saw it back then, the closest version to Star Wars that people were seeing back then. And I think that is incredible that people, fans are doing this work. Fans are doing this work. Crazy. Crazy. Cool. So, Steve, what have you been seeing What watching?
0: Oh, my God, what was that?
2: Watching these. Buckets
0: fall over the desk <laughs> I'm sitting there. Um, I really haven't been... I've been watching A Murder at the End of the World. How is it? I'm really liking a lot. That's um from Britt Marling. Um, She did the OA. Well, oh. most people know her from the OA.
2: Are there cults um, involved? Because she always <laughs> has a cult involved.
0: Not not directly a cult. Okay. No, no. Okay. Not, not like that. Yeah, you're right, though. Yeah, yeah, a couple of the movies she's made have had cults in it, too. Yeah. <clears throat> um, which I think is really good. That I'm I'm four or five episodes into that. That's really good. Caught up on Fargo, which I'm really liking. Yeah. Um, I watched uh May December on Netflix. Natalie Portman. Um, How is it? it? It's really good. I mean, it's not really my kind of movie. I'm not really uh the biggest. I don't know. I don't find myself saying I'm a Todd Haynes fan. Uh, you know, I like some of his movies. But um, I can't say that the performances aren't amazing. I mean, like right. all uh, b- both Natalie Portman, and Julian Moore, are great. But but um, what's his name, Charles Melton, um, who is her Julian Moore's husband in the movie? I think he's probably the standout to me, to be honest with you, against two juggernauts like that. So, or at least the surprise, like he's just like incredible in it, and I feel like he's been winning a lot of the Critics Circle's awards. So he's going to be. I think a big Oscar contender might be uh, giving Robert Downey Jr. a run for his money. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought May December was really good. Um, didn't love it, but definitely see why it's getting all the awards attention and you know uh, critical love. It's on Netflix now. Uh, but yeah, I think that's all, mean, The last week, my goal was to see the Godzilla film, but just been trying to catch up on a bunch of shows I'm I'm behind on. Like again, I caught up on Fargo. Um, and started and I think I'm up to date on the murder at the end of the world. I definitely would recommend checking that out. It's really, it's really good. It's kind of like a, you know, a mystery techno thriller kind of thing. Oh, wow. um, and awesome. Yeah. I mean like Clive Owens in it. I didn't even realize he was in the show. Um, Marley. he's rarely
2: in stuff. I,
0: I... Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he's, he's awesome, but okay, cool. uh, Harris Dickerson's in it. He's also in the, uh, the iron claw movie that's coming out in a couple of weeks which I think we're going to be seeing next week as a, as a, as a, as a pod yeah. and reviewing on next week's show. So it'd be cool to see him in that. So yeah, no, that's that's pretty much everything I've watched over the past couple of days. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that'll wrap it up. You guys good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, Movies, movie.com is the website movie uh youtube.com slash movie movie should be podcast if you want to do the video element but um as a reminder the required viewing ronald's pick for next week is a uh, shogun assassin and it's a, a reason to check out the criterion channel i guess uh, which i'll do probably for the first time um i've heard amazing things about it so i'm happy to i'm happy to venture there um but watch watch that with us and uh, we'll talk about that next week and like i said we're aiming to go see a, a press screening of uh, the Iron Claw, which is the uh, the Von Erich family story. The rest, of the professional wrestlers: uh, Zach Efron, Harris Dickinson, um, uh, Jeremy Allen White, among some others. That, but I've heard great things about it. Can't wait to see that. So I'm excited to talk about that next week. Yeah. Um, if you guys are good, I'm good. And uh, as always, you've made our day. Thanks.
2: Bye.